It is good to be here in the house of the Lord and to be able to worship and praise together. And as Nancy mentioned, we've been celebrating this inherited wisdom that we have been passing along, receiving and passing along generation after generation. And we've talked about how we um, share in the wisdom of prayers, that we pray for each other, and that we share in the wisdom of, of being present with one another. And we celebrate the presence of Christ and we, we reflect that presence into the world as we're present with one another. And we talked about service and how we share the wisdom of serving one another and serving through the church. And as Nancy mentioned today, we're talking about our gifts, how we continue to share what we've received, pass along this wisdom from generation to generation until it overflows and the world, the world around us, begins to experience the reflection and the revelation of God in our midst. That's a powerful thing. It's a wonderful opportunity and a powerful responsibility that God has called the church into this ministry, into this mission. And so we've been celebrating it for the past few weeks. And we've been using Paul's letter to Timothy, we find in 2 Timothy, and we've been kind of considering how Paul is kind of encouraging his colleague, his friend, this young man, he has been mentoring for a, a good while. And apparently, Timothy had fallen on some kind of hard times, and his ministry was beginning to kind of suffer, and he was kind of growing weary and apparently tired, and was just kind of, kind of feeling the energy drain. And Paul had received word, so he writes this letter, very personal letter, to Timothy to encourage him, to, be, to persevere, to find strength in faith. To find this wisdom, this inheritance that he has received through the scriptures, the holy scriptures, and through his mother and his grandmother, and through Paul, the Paul he had traveled with and ministered with and observed and prayed with. And he's kind of, Paul's reminding him of all of this. One thing we need to think about as we read 2 Timothy is that these are probably some of the last words Paul ever wrote. He was in prison in Rome. He had had one trial. The second trial was coming up before him. He did not think he would survive the trial. And this is the circumstance that Paul is writing. This is, some scholars call 2 Timothy uh, um, Paul's uh, last will and testament. He's kind of sending this last word of encouragement, his, his last wishes, if you will, to, to Timothy. And these are very deep, heartfelt words, powerful words from a minister, an evangelist who is looking at the end of his career, the end of his ministry. And he wants to make sure that his colleagues and the church continues the work that was begun in him and he had passed along to make sure this inherited wisdom continues to cascade over one generation of believer to the next. And so when we understand that this is where Paul is coming from, this is the context that Paul is writing, these words become powerful words. Our reading today is from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8, and then 16 through 18. But to help us really kind of understand the context here, I'm going to begin in verse 1. 
Paul writes, In the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and in view of His appearing and His kingdom, I solemnly urge you, proclaim the message, be persistent whether the time is favorable or unfavorable, convince, rebuke, and encourage with the utmost patience in teaching. For the time is coming when people will, know, will not put up with sound doctrine, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own desires and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander away to myths. As for you, always be sober. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Carry out your ministry fully. And in verse 6, Paul continues, As for me, I am already being poured out as a libation, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. From now on there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. At my first defense, no one came to my support, but all deserted me. May it not be counted against them. But the Lord stood by me and gave me strength, so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil attack and save me for his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. And may God bless the reading of the word. Paul, writing these last words to Timothy, is filled with encouragement, filled with hope. But there's this sense in it that this is the end. And I think it's interesting that Paul uses the word departure and not death. The time of his departure is near because Paul understood that yes, his ministry was coming to an end. His time in this life was coming to an end. But it means the, the next life, the next journey is beginning. And so he writes these words, these powerful words to young Timothy to encourage him. Now I've, I don't know if you've ever been on a, if you've had a family member or a friend or that's on a deathbed and their time is imminent. It's a powerful experience. An absolutely powerful emotional, spiritual, and physical experience. I've had the occasion every now and again to be at a bedside when someone is actively dying and it's, it's something to behold. Several years ago I was in Dothan and I was We'd gotten a call from one of our church members and the woman said that her husband was in the hospital and was not going to be able to go home and just would wish somebody would come and have a prayer and just be with her for a moment. 
Her husband was a World War II vet, and she told us that she never heard him talk about his experiences during the war. He was very quiet about it. But while in the hospital, it was one of the few things he talked about. When I arrived at the hospital and went and sat by his bed, and she told me everything that was going on, and I sat and held his hand and said a prayer, and he began to talk, kind of in and out of consciousness. And he began to talk about his, well, June the 6th, 1944. And he landed with the Rangers on D-Day. And as he talked about it, he literally shook and was visibly afraid. And he talked just how horrific it was to be commanded to shoot and kill another man. That was the worst part. He talked about climbing the cliff and finding himself in a crater and people shooting at him and then him shooting back. And he would drift back off. I would just pat his hand and he would come and go and every now and again he would come back and he would speak more about how horrible it was to be asked to kill someone. And then he drifted in one time and he began to laugh. And he began to talk about his friend who had gone through ranger school with him and had landed with him and they found themselves in this crater hiding and trying not to die. And he said the enemy was in good shape as long as his friend was in front of him because he couldn't hit the broad side of a barn. And he just laughed. And he faded back out. Eventually he died. And I wonder in that experience and among other experiences is I, I know that I did next to nothing for that man. But I was there. I patted his hand and said prayers and and tried to make noises when he told stories. I don't know that he ever actually knew that I was physically there. But one thing I do believe in all that experience is that God was with that man in that moment. And that all this stuff, all this stuff that was frightful, the fear and the terror of all that he experienced, something that I could never imagine, that God was with him inviting him to leave all that stuff in that crater and to come peacefully to abide and live with God his heavenly father with him eternally I believe that and I believe that with Paul that this man did not die but he simply departed one life to another and that's the Christian hope. That's our Christian faith. We are resurrection people. We die, but yet we live. We depart one life into another life. We finish one journey and begin a new one. And it's a powerful experience. 
It's a powerful faith that, that Paul is reminding Timothy to proclaim the good news no matter what. No matter how hard it gets, no matter how much resistance you receive, no matter how much persecution you're under, proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. That God loves you and God loves the world so much that He would give His only begotten Son to die a horrific death that we might have life and have life abundantly, fully, eternally. That we might understand and live a journey that takes us from this life departing to a new life. That's what the mission of the church is to proclaim that good news and reflect this life and this faith to the world so the world may know that Jesus Christ is love and Jesus Christ is grace. And Jesus, lies, Jesus Christ offers us forgiveness and grants us new life. Paul, as he writes to Timothy, reminds him of this fountain of faith. This tears of a fountain that cascade one over the other. Where God's wisdom is poured out from Christ, through Christ, into Paul, into and through Timothy's mother and grandmother. That will wash over and through Timothy. And Timothy then is to pass that along. No matter what. No matter the resistance. No matter the hurdle. No matter the obstacle. No matter the persecution. Because Paul knows and reminds Timothy what he knows. Is that we do all of this. The church does all that it does in its prayers, its presence, its gifts, and its service to be a witness to Jesus Christ that God, to God, belongs the glory. When we live that life, when we have that hope, we can say with Paul that we've run our race. We finished the course. We fought the good fight. And we are departing to a new life. And that's what we're doing today. The church gives us this wonderful opportunity, this invitation to see one church year come to an end as we plan for the next church year. It never ends. The life of the church. And so we have this invitation to make a decision today. To decide what promises we're going to make. To support one another. To follow God. To be faithful. To make promises. About how we will pray. How we'll be present with one another. And with Christ. How we will serve one another with Christ, through Christ. And how we will support one another and support the mission of the church.
I don't know what craters we're hiding in. And I don't know what enemies we all face. And I don't know what bullets and bombs fall our direction. But I know we all have them. And I know we all want to bury ourselves deeper and deeper in a crater. But God calls us through Jesus Christ to be bold, to be strong, to encourage one another, to live for one another sacrificially. And when our time is imminent for our departure, we'll ask ourselves, what have I inherited? And of this inheritance, what have I shared? So that this fountain will continue to flow over me, through me, and for the good of the world and to the glory of God. That's what this is about. That's what all of this is about. The glory of God being revealed through God's people. So today, when you come forward for communion, you're being invited to bring your promise, your pledge card with you, and you'll put it in one of these baskets after you've taken communion. Prayerfully, I hope you will prayerfully consider your promise. Because this is a promise you make with God and to yourself. It's a promise you make for the church. So that this fountain will continue to flow. Will continue to overflow into the world around us. And the world will know that we are God's people. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.